0: Local makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favourite business show. Hands
1: down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast.
0: The ultimate resource for sales people. George makes me want to Conquer Local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Lee. It's the latest edition of the Conquer Local podcast, all about one of the things that trips up salespeople and I actually believe it might be the way to build amazing digital salespeople. I'll explain everything that you need to know about handling objections when we return on the Conquer Local podcast.
1: Join us for Conquer Local 2019 in beautiful sunny San Diego. California's Beach City and the legendary Hotel Del Coronado will play host to the most valuable conference of the year for companies selling marketing solutions to local businesses. We have a must-see lineup of industry experts, including our keynote speaker Kevin O'Leary from ABC's Shark Tank. Our entire slate of accomplished speakers have been hand-picked to address the top six growth problems facing all B2B companies. Product, demand, sales, scale, retention, and expansion. You'll get stimulating talks, tactile workshops, and an opportunity to connect with the brightest minds in your industry, all geared toward turning your business into a recurring revenue growth engine. Plus, you can experience an unforgettable adventure on a guided tour of the world-famous San Diego Zoo, capped off with an incredible treetop reception. We've secured deep discounts on conference hotel rooms, but they are limited and going fast. Don't miss out. Go to conquerlocal2019.com and get your tickets and rooms today.
0: These editions are uh, have been titled by producer Colleen George's,
1: top, George's tips. top tips.
0: And we are going to get into handling objections. So the first time that you were, you received some sort of an objection it was very young. You may not even remember this. You went to your parents and you asked them for a lollipop and you'd already had about 10 of them and they said, no. And then you started dealing with the objection and you started saying, yeah, but I'm only going to have a little bit of it. Or, you know, I, I didn't really have eight of those earlier. You didn't count right. Mom and dad, I only had six. And we start spinning the conversation to try and get our way in the discussion. So we, you know, I think that some people are like, oh, I don't really know. I'm not really good at handling objections. You've been handling objections for a long time. You may just not have understood that in that context. So when we were writing this lesson, I uh, wanted to dig into objections and why they're so bloody important. And, and this really hit me a couple of months back. I think it was about five months back. I was in the field working with a sales team and we were, we were doing some role-playing So I was the business owner and they were acting as a salesperson and I started to fire some objections at them to see if they knew how to handle the objections. And they were specific objections around digital marketing that we've all either heard or we've been dealing with. And what I found was the salesperson across the table from me was not able to handle the objection like it was second nature. Like it, it, they were searching for the way to handle the objection and now, some of these people were traditional print salespeople. If I were to ask them and give them a objection around a quarter page print ad, they'd be able to tell me that in their sleep. They'd be able to tell me that after 10 bourbon because it was fully ingrained in them through years upon years of, first off, trial and error to figure out what works because there's, you know, there's a couple ways we learn. We learn by trying, not succeeding, adjusting, or we learn from somebody that has some experience in the space. The things, the traditional products that we were selling in my uh, early days, radio, print, I could give you the objections just like that. And I had them all. And there were, you know, there were a million objections that could come my way. And I had all of the rebuttals down to an art. I knew exactly how to navigate that. But because we're living in a world where new digital marketing solutions are invented every day, the landscape changes pretty much on an hourly basis. I don't know if we have armed our salespeople or armed ourselves with the key components of the objections that we're getting around digital solutions. You know, it really is the secret sauce of being an effective salesperson is the ability to handle objections. And I remember attending a training session here a couple of years back. I think it was actually about eight years ago and they brought in this uh, sales trainer from Xerox. And I always love sales trainers from like Best Buy, uh, selling electronics or, you know, anybody that had to sell some sort of electronics because those people are great salespeople. And this woman was the head sales trainer for Xerox all over North America. And she said the the customer interaction that she hates is the one where they don't give you an objection because you have nowhere to go. So you make the presentation of the person and, you know, it's like presenting to a Sphinx. They just sit there and like, no look, there's, there's nothing. You can't even tell from their demeanor, how they're feeling so that, you know, the key to the objection is to understand where the objection is coming from. And there usually are four types of objections when selling. So our first objection is around price and it's around the risk. So, you know, the higher the risk is on the purchase, the more that the price you really need to work on connecting the value of the price. The other thing, it would really be important to understand how risky this purchase is. Sometimes you've got to get that with the needs analysis. And and what I mean by that is let's say the local business person just spent $10,000 on some sort of marketing and it didn't work very well and they're under the gun from their boss because the boss had to write the $10,000 check and you can't really prove the ROI, then the next purchase might be a hell of a lot riskier for that buyer. And I've always found that understanding how risk adverse the buyer is. And, and, you know, sometimes we deal with procurement people and sometimes we deal with CFOs and sometimes we're dealing with accountants. So, you know, we just really have to understand the price and the risk. Number two, the quality of service objection. So if they have any sort of concern around the quality of your products or certain, and this is why the value proposition and coming up with the way to present your product and service to show the true value and set the expectation is such an important piece of the puzzle. If they express, if the prospect expresses some sort of doubts about product quality or the training of our personnel or the speed or responsiveness of our service departments, or compatibility. Those are examples of quality of service concerns and a couple of ways that you can deal with that. So around product quality, give me a case study, show me a demo of the solution, how bloody good it is. And then give me a case study of somebody who's really happy with that product or service. I think that kind of applies for the way that you're delivering a service or a solution. And then the training of your personnel. I've come across this quite a bit recently and I really go into that i I see it as a, as an advantage in the presentation stage to say here's the team who's going to be looking after you Johnny's been doing this for 25 years I've been doing this you know for a long time since the wheels weren't, weren't round and uh, Colleen she's been doing it for like a few months but she's awesome so you you know really laying out the resume as it were of the team Now, salespeople, sometimes we don't have very big egos, so we don't like to brag about ourselves and the things that we've done. You really need to get over that if you have that problem, by the way. Because as part of the presentation, you better be compelling as to show the person across the table why they should be listening to you and why they need to pay attention to you and what you bring to them that can help their business. So, those are a few things when it comes to pivoting the conversation or dealing with the objections around quality of service. And then, We've got trust and the relationship. So the customer might be concerned about the legitimacy or credibility of your company. And what this indicates is that you have not done a good enough job of building rapport with the customer. You're not there yet. You know, one one thing that we haven't talked about yet, but I'm going to introduce this thought, is rushing a deal through the pipeline. So you've got set stages of the pipeline. First, you know, you find a lead they are qualified, they're in the space, you know that you've dealt with other companies that need your product or service. So you've qualified the lead, it's a PQL, product qualified lead. Then you are lucky enough to convince that person to have a meeting with you. And you conduct what is then known as the needs analysis, where you start asking some. it's not, oh, by the way, it's not just one stage, you should be doing needs analysis all the time, we've covered this before, but it has to start somewhere And it's seeking to understand, understand the customer. And while you're doing the needs analysis, that's where you're building that rapport. That's where you're building that trust. That's where you're making that person understand that you know what you're talking about. So as much as you need to be asking them questions about their business, you need to align those values that you bring and the quality that you bring to the conversation. I like to name drop inside my presentations. I like to figure out that. It's pretty easy to do now, by the way, to figure out what names to drop. Because you could just drop names, Tony. Doesn't mean anything to me, right? Because there's there's no context around that, Bob. See, it's not about dropping names. It's about dropping names that align to the customer. And guess what? This amazing piece of technology called LinkedIn shows you not only the business person that you're going to call on and their resume and their hobbies and the crap that they like, but it also shows you a bunch of other people that they are related to. And you don't even have to dig into the list of people. It says, here's some common people that you have. And what if you were to drop the name of somebody who's in that common list that you know is connected to the person that you're making the call on and connected to you? So that's where you're building that trust. You're building rapport You're building a relationship and at that point, then you can start asking for business. But if you don't have the proper trust or haven't built the proper relationship, you can pitch until you're blue in the face and you're not going to get anywhere. Now we get down to another type of objections. And when I was researching this topic, I found a number of different blogs and I found a number of podcasts I listened to about it. And they, they called this fourth objection, the stall. And I was like, oh, I hate this part. I hate this part. This is, we're, we're close to the sale. We've made the presentation. We're asking for the business or, or we're about to have the call where we ask for the business and you can't get an appointment. And they won't give you an answer. And they actually won't even tell you the reason why they won't say yes or no. So, you know, when we are looking at at the sales process there are two answers that we really like. Yes, of course we like that one the most. But another one that I like almost as much as no. Because what those two answers give us is closure. <laughs> so that we can move on to the next stage. And what a maybe gives you is nothing. A maybe is a dark hole. And what it does is maybe sucks up all your time. And you've got this pipeline built up. And you've got all these maybes. One maybe's 30 days old, one maybe 60 days old, one maybe is 90 days old. And as salespeople, we're hoarders. We never want to throw any frigging opportunity out. We're like, ah, oh, but I pitched that guy four years ago. It went so well. I you you've been dreaming about them saying yes to you. But it was four freaking years ago. You some of you have had two kids in that time. Or two grand, it's a long frickin' time. So we need to clean that pipeline out and we need to be aware that the stall could be sucking up one of our most valuable resources is time. So we got those four objections and we need to learn how to deal with them. It's a really important step to becoming a prolific salesperson. If you have anticipated and prepared for those four types of objections, you won't panic And this is what I find working with sales teams. I'm out on four-legged calls, two legs with titanium, two legs most of the time without. We go out and we call on a customer and I, I wait for the objection to come up and then to see how the rep deals with it. And sometimes it is just sheer panic. They are just scared shitless. You can just tell by their whole demeanor. They have no idea how to deal with the objection. And that comes back now onto the sales manager that didn't train the rep properly or the sales environment that they live in. And I've found that some of the most effective sales environments, and this, this isn't just recently, this has been 30 years ago when I started in the business. You know, I learned more from the veteran salespeople that I was seated next to in the sales room than I ever learned from my managers or on the street. And a lot of that was live fire where you they would come in, they'd be all really excited about a call they were just on. And I would say, well, how, how did you present it? What were the things they liked? Because I, I was always have been very curious. It's been one of the reasons why I think I've been pretty good in my sales career is I'm super curious and I like to ask questions. Why did that happen? How did they react? I, I like to think that I'm a student to people and I like to measure, make a statement and then stand there and wait, see what happens with it. And as those of you who've known me for a long time know, I'll pretty much make any statement to see what people will do. Best course of action is to direct the focus back to the larger context in which the purchase is being made is to come up with clear, logical reasons why they can buy. It's pretty much a verbatim quote from one of the blogs that I had read on this subject. And, you know, the, the interesting thing that that is saying is when you're in the sales process and you come to an objection, you need to be able to steer that prospect back to what you've identified as the need that you're solving, and they're throwing objections at you either to stall the deal, they're throwing objections at you to get a better price, they're throwing objections at you because they don't believe that you can deliver on the product or service, meaning you haven't established that trust. The analogy I'm going to use is you're the back catcher, and you've got a pitcher out there He's got different colored balls and he's firing them at you. And you can map those balls back to, oh, here comes a price one. Here comes a risk adverse one. Here comes the quality of service one. Here comes the doesn't trust me piece again. And it is repetitively dealing with those objections where you start to wear them down. You start to wear down the price, the risk objection, the quality of service objection, the trust, the relationship objection. and then the one that we hate the most and we probably can't do too much with is stall, the stall portion of those objections. So we need to be using a strategy called reframing. We need to reframe things. So a customer says, your price is too high. Why do you feel the price is too high? Are there other products and services that you've been looking at that have a better price? Imagine that question. You ask about that and they give you their, their, your competitor that you know you're better at in three different places on the chart. You know, you've got the chart and you measure them. So are you saying you're concerned about return on investment? Are you looking at the impact on your overall costs? That's another way of reframing the objection to get the prospect back on track. If you're comparing risks and benefits, that were previously agreed to, you can use one of these statements. We're offering a custom solution that will help better meet your customer's needs and eliminate downtime, which is going to have a tremendous impact on your bottom line. But listen to that, the way that that's, again, they're coming back to in the needs analysis, we found that, you know, the business does better when they sell custom solutions, when they make sure that they meet the needs of their customers and they're all looking to eliminate downtime, those items right there are tent poles. And you need to keep hammering on that tent pole every single time. You know that that resonates with the prospect because you found it in the needs analysis and you need to go back to it and reframe it that, you know, yeah, the price might be a little bit more, but this is a custom solution that hits all of the items that you told me earlier were important to you. It's going to get us to the outcome that you desire. And that I've also found in that reframing Stage is where you push them back to the outcome. Always push them to the outcome. The outcome is, I'm going to solve these problems for you with my solution or my products. And then ask questions to get acceptance to close the deal. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book, but it's not really a trick. It's the way that you need to close business to come to that closure of give me a yes or no so we move on to the next stage. So here's here's one of these Questions to get acceptance. Do you feel that this custom solution will help your relationship with your customers? Will that be a value to your company? If you've done a great job of presenting, of doing the needs analysis first, building the strategy that solves their problem, framing that to them as to how it does solve the problem with the value that you bring, and then say to them, do you feel that this custom solution will help your relationship with your customers? Yes. What will be... Uh, will that custom solution be a value to your company? Yeah, it'd be way better than what we have today. You see, you're moving them along the line. And if we don't have that panic stage, if we can give those objections just off the cuff, and this is something for the sales managers that are out there, or for those of you that are running your own independent businesses and you're managing yourselves, you want to go back and you want to say, okay, over my sales calls this past week, here are the top 10 objections that I had. And then grade yourself on how good you were at dealing with those objections. Show me the ones that you're great at. Show me the ones that you're poor at. And then you know where to spend your time. I want you to remember these tactics. Listen fully to the objection. And the first thing we do is we get defensive. We jump in. No, that's not the way that it works. I said this, 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 this. And we just featured benefit dump on them. We just throw up all the feature benefits again. Because maybe they didn't hear us. And producer Colleen saying, you're talking too fast again, George. See, I do it. I get excited. And the person's not going to buy from me. Damn right, you're going to buy from me. Here's all the reasons. Boom, 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 boom. <sighs> Take a breath. And maybe ask a question. Like this. Here's what I think you said. And get them to reframe the question again so that you can really understand them, and then deal with every single item that they have an objection to and try not to be too defensive it's it's just reeks of weakness when you're really really defensive no but that's not the way it went or no, oh, no it went this way oh no and, you know and your body language will give it all away so you need to have that confident body language right so when i do presentations i like to stand i'm way more confident when i'm standing like to uh you know probably take a little wider stance So I put balance over, you know, my, I'm not like hopping around on what, it's just annoying and it's nervous. And you want to make sure that you have that, um, you have that confidence when you're going in to deal with those objections, understanding the objection completely. There are many objections that hide behind other issues and maybe the buyer can't even articulate what their real concern is at this point. So the true issue usually isn't what they tell you first. And as a salesperson, it's your job to dig in and get to the heart of the objection. Now I've got a term for this. The G rated way to explain this is called blowing smoke. So you make the pitch to the customer and they give you an answer. I can't buy that because I don't like blue dumplings, but that's not the real reason that they can't buy it. They can't buy it because blue dumplings are super fricking expensive. They're like $2,400 and they don't have the budget. And that prospect is going to need some sort of a finance plan to be able to afford blue dumplings. And they don't know if they can get approved for credit. So, you know, that's an extreme example of what might be hiding underneath an objection is the truth as to why they really have the objection. I want you to make sure that you utilize this tactic to dealing with objections. Respond properly. After you're confident you've uncovered all the objections, I want you to start with the most important objection first. So you've got, they give you a bunch of objections. Don't like to buy things on Monday. Don't like to buy things that are too expensive. Don't really think that you guys know what you're doing. Find the one that's most important to the person based upon their body language and the way they presented it. And let's get that one first. Because usually when we dig under the hood of all of those objections... Finding that most important one is the key. It's, it's like the blowing smoke part. They gave you eight things, but it's really only one. So responding properly is really important. And we want to make sure that we do our best to resolve the issue right away. The more that you can resolve issues in real time, the greater chance you have of moving the sale forward. Now, the tendency we have is to then tell the truth in advance, outright, boldly lie, uh, because we don't really know the real answer. So I'm not saying to just blurt out stuff that you don't know is 100% true. So it's still okay to say, I'm going to have to go back and get some information on that and figure out if we really can solve that problem for you. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that actually creates trust. Be You know, one of the hardest things for a salesperson to do is to say that they don't know. And that they're going to have to find out. But i found that that can build a hell of a lot of rapport if you don't know the answer and you get back to that person. Plus, it's a reason to talk to him again. You're in the call. You're making the presentation. They come up with these objections. One of the objections you don't know the answer to, you say, here's the other two. Here's the one I think is most important. Let's deal with that first. Let's deal with this one over here, which I think is just smoke, but I'm being polite by dealing with it. And then number three, I'm going to have to go back. And I got to talk to somebody way smarter than me to get you an answer on that one. But I promise that I will call you back by the end of the day. I know that person works till five. I'm going to get back to the office and I'll give you a call. You see how that cadence gives you an opportunity to build more trust with the customer because you have now delivered on a promise. Maybe as part of your value proposition, you said, we always deliver on our promises. Well, here's a perfect opportunity to deliver on a promise that you just gave them. I also like to rub that in the prospect's nose all the time. I promised you that I would be here for our appointment at three o'clock. I promised you I would get you information on that product or service that you had. And when I send them the email, I go, fulfilling my promise to you, here's the information that you requested. You see what we're doing there? People who speak that way are not afraid for you to look at what's going on in behind the scenes. They're like, yeah, check me out. I'm good. I deliver on my promises. It's called trust building. Confirm that you've satisfied the objection. This is tactic number four. What you're looking for is to get through what I call the lukewarm yes. And you can tell it when they give it to you. Kind of like, yeah. Mm." It's kind of positive. You don't quite know. I think that what you want is the emphatic yes, where it's like, yes, that is exactly what I was hoping you would say. I've been looking for somebody who can do that. You get to the heart of their concerns and you confirm you satisfy the objection. And this is a great closing line. So you say to the prospect, now that I have dealt with that objection, call it out, call it an objection. It's not a four letter word. Call it out and say, I dealt with your objection. Are we able now to move our partnership forward? Pass the pen across the table and let them sign the order. So we wanted to get that out there because I find that objections are the secret sauce to selling and the ability to find them, deal with them, pivot them to show the value in your products and services. And we all need to work on practicing the art of handling objections. They're they're like weeds, folks. There are new objections growing right now, right this minute. Like, oh, I just weeded the garden. Where the hell did that dandelion come from? We need to be dealing with objections all the time and practicing the art of that. Role-playing, by far, the best way to do it. In a sales room, get your salespeople, start role-playing. Here, here's what I do know. I can find out how well managed a sales team is by whether they deploy role-playing on a daily, weekly, monthly, or never basis. Walk in, let's do some role-playing. And if all the reps are like, they run, they try and hide, they freak out, bunch of them pass out, they turn white as ghosts. You can tell that they haven't done any role-playing or practicing out louder. So then here's what happens: then the salesperson goes out and practices dealing with objections in front of the customer with the look of panic on their face, like they just had when I brought it up. So get objection handling into the DNA of your sales organization. And if you're a one-person salesman or woman, Get it into your DNA every morning. You're driving to your first sales call, practice handling some objections. It is going to change the game for you. Knowing how to identify them, knowing what category they fall into, and then knowing how to deal with them and practicing that and honing your craft, you will become an expert on dealing with objections. Thanks for joining us for the Conquer Local podcast. These are George's top tips for sales. I'm George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast with your host, George Lee. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, sound lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath.